Executive Interview, The Health of Australia Aviation When will Australia get to a stage of vaccination where from a health point of view, people will be safe to travel the world? Travel has been severely curtailed in Australia and in other parts of the world as a result of the pandemic. Vaccines have been rolling out under emergency provisions in Australia. During an interview addressing the effects of the COVID-19 coronavirus on the country and specifically Australia aviation, Professor Kidd talked about this incredibly disruptive year. The interview begins with Peter Harbison of the Kappa Centre for Aviation, warning Professor Kidd that he is about to make him uncomfortable. Read or listen to what the professor had to say. Peter Harbison. So I'm going to grill you for about half an hour, make you as uncomfortable as possible given that we're all having to suffer. But what I want to focus on mostly, Michael, obviously is the aviation perspective. There are a lot of other issues around that are both totally uncertain and some a little bit more certain, but maybe if I could kick off with the looking forward a few months, I don't know how many, to when vaccinations are reasonably well distributed both in Australia and internationally. We've heard a lot of discussion about airlines saying whether or not they would require everybody on board the aircraft to be vaccinated, which to me is a bit of a furphy in a lot of ways, because for one thing, it's only part of the total travel journey anyway but I think more importantly to dissect outbound and inbound. So at what stage do we in Australia get to a stage of vaccination where you will feel free, from a health point of view, you will feel free to say, yes, you can go travel the world. What are the hurdles to that? What are the conditions to that, and how long will that take, do you think, given the anticipated rollout that we have now? Michael Kidd. Well, so that's a very complex question. Obviously, We already have people coming into Australia from overseas, but of course being required to quarantine on arrival, and we do have people leaving Australia with exemptions to travel overseas. But travel obviously has been severely curtailed in Australia and in other parts of the world as a result of the pandemic, and we don't know exactly how long it's going to take before we can move back to a degree of normality with travel. Obviously, the vaccines are going to make a difference, but the vaccine programs, of course, are only just starting to roll out in countries overseas. Vaccines have been rolling out under emergency provisions in Australia. We've only just had the approval by the Therapeutic Goods Administration of the Pfizer vaccine. We're still awaiting the first doses of the Pfizer vaccine to arrive in Australia. We're anticipating that people will stop receiving those vaccines towards the end of this month, February, but the rollout to cover the entire adult population in Australia is expected to run until October of this year. And, of course, we still don't have any vaccines which have been licensed to be used in children. The Pfizer vaccine is able to be used in people age 16 and above, but it means that at the moment we're unable to immunize a very significant percentage of our population and a significant percentage of the people who will be on planes. What we do know about the vaccines is, from the clinical trials and the other data which has been presented, they prevent the development of serious disease from COVID-19 and death, but there are a whole lot of things that we don't know. We don't know if you've been vaccinated whether you can still be infected with COVID-19, be asymptomatic, but still at risk of inaudible 004 and 31 seconds, to other people. We don't know how long the immunity which you get from being vaccinated will last. We don't know for people who have been infected with COVID-19, and there are over 28,000 Australians who have recovered from COVID-19, we don't know how long that immunity will start us. So there are a whole lot of unknowns at the moment, but of course, as has been happening for the last year throughout this pandemic, we are learning more and more every day, 
and so hopefully things will become clearer as our nation program rolls out over the coming months, but also as we gain more and more experience from what's been happening overseas and particularly in those countries which have now been rolling out vaccines for the last two to three months. Peter Harbison. Right. Obviously, yes, as you mentioned, with exemptions, people can move, but they're very limited numbers. Let's say, and this is obviously hypothetical, but let's say we get to October, we have learned a lot about not only the impact of me and you being vaccinated, but also transmissibility and issues like that. Let's say we get to the end of October, we're fairly comfortable with those things. What does that then mean, when everybody's vaccinated in Australia more or less, what does that then mean to us being able to travel internationally? Does that actually tick the box and say, okay, we're all vaccinated. Feel free to fly the world, or does it take time after that? Or are there issues at the other end that will affect us when they've been across to, say, America and come back? How does that work? Michael Kidd. Well, again, it raises a lot of questions. So end of October, we hope to have the adult population of Australia vaccinated, but we still want to have vaccinated the children of Australia, so that's 25% of our population, and we also don't know what's going to be happening overseas. So although vaccination programs and are rolling apps in some countries, there are still many countries, especially low- and middle-income countries where vaccination has not commenced and where there may still be very large numbers of people who have not been vaccinated come October. We don't know how quickly it's going to take before we see the situation with transmission of COVID-19 start to improve around the world. Yesterday, 412,000 people were reported as being infected with COVID-19. Over 13,000 people were reported to have died, so we'd want to see a world where COVID-19 is much more under control before many people will feel comfortable getting on an airplane and going to other parts of the world. It may well be that many of the other public health precautions which we've had in place will still be required as we travel to different parts of the world. The importance of wearing masks, the importance of our hand hygiene, the importance of maintaining physical distancing from other people. We still don't know, so it may well be that the sort of travel that we were used to 12 months or more ago may still look very different traveling internationally when that eventually begins for many of us. Peter Harbison. Yeah. I think we've all probably come to that recognition, that the world is going to be very different from here on, if not forever, for a very long time. I mean, without putting words in your mouth, so we're saying, essentially, there will be no free unrestricted travel before the end of October. From what you're saying, impliedly, I guess, there's an awful lot more to learn before there would be a relative freedom of Australians to travel overseas. I mean, the 2022 date has been talked about quite a lot. I mean, that presumably is more realistic, in terms of any large volume of international travel, for Australians going overseas. Michael Kidd. Well, I hope so, and I hope I'm wrong. I hope that things improve dramatically over the months ahead during this year. One of the things we've learned about COVID-19 is that things happen in timeframes that we just didn't expect. If anyone had asked me, a year ago, whether we would be immunizing 12 months on, with mRNA vaccines against a coronavirus, in humans, I would have said, you're crazy. That sort of thing is going to take years to be developed. Yet it's been developed in a matter of months, and these safe and effective vaccines, like the Pfizer vaccine, are now approved for use. So things do change very quickly. What we also don't know is, what is going to be the impact of having large numbers of people in a nation immunized?
we're already seeing very early data coming from Israel, which is one of the countries, which has moved to vaccinate a significant percentage of its population very quickly. We're already seeing a reduction in the number of people who are getting infected, and being symptomatic with COVID-19, the number of people being admitted to hospital, the number of people dying from COVID-19, even though it's a country where there is still significant community transmission. So I think we need to watch and wait, and see what's happening overseas, and be continually ready to update, our plans in light of what happens. Peter Harbison. As we have until now, erring on the side of caution, obviously. Let's say, so by the end of October, we've got everybody in Australia vaccinated, except for, perhaps, the children. Does that mean that we can then start opening up the borders to foreigners who either have or have not got widespread vaccination in their countries, because that's going to be safe? Michael Kidd. Well, of course, yes. So borders are open for returning Australians. Of course, we also have the one-way green zone flights, within the trans-travel bubble, between New Zealand and Australia, so we have people coming back and forward. I guess it depends on what's happening in individual countries. At the moment, the Australian government carries out risk assessments on a number of other countries, to see how they are doing with control, inaudible 011 and 31 seconds, with levels of testing, with the ability of other countries, to be able to respond, if they do get outbreaks recurring, after they've managed to get their community transmission under control, which of course has not happened in most countries around the world. So it may well be that we start on a country-by-country basis, rather than opening up to the entire world. But again, it depends what happens over the coming months. Peter Harbison. Well, I mean, if we can look, if we can frame the existing New Zealand bubble, for example, we've done that on the basis that neither of the countries has actually got a substantial level of vaccination, if almost no vaccinations, but we feel safe, because there are very low levels of infection. When we move ahead from that, and let's assume we are getting vaccinated, now, how does that bubble process change? Do we then start looking at bubbles where other countries have got widespread vaccination, and we move selectively from that? And just to tack on the back of that, sorry, in each of these processes, presumably, we'll roll out progressively a relaxation of quarantine periods for inbound travelers? Michael Kidd. Well, we don't know that yet. At the moment, the reason we have the 14 days of quarantine is because it matches the period with people who have been infected, are likely to develop symptoms, or have asymptomatic infection and transmit to other people. So that 14 days may or may not change. I don't see it coming down. The other variable is our concern about these variants of concern, which are appearing in different parts of the world. So, the so-called UK variant, the so-called South African variant, this new, which has appeared in Brazil over the last few weeks, and has spread to Japan. It appears that the vaccines that we have available are able to prevent serious illness in people who have the UK and South African variants, but we're following very closely, as larger numbers of people are being infected with those variants, to see what actually happens and how effective the vaccines are. So, there are a number of unknowns. The other issue with other countries, it may depend on which vaccines have been used in those countries, and then, which variants are circulating around the world. We might be seeking advice from the Therapeutic Goods Administration about vaccines which have actually not been approved for licensing in Australia, but whether we get a level, a degree of comfort, if those vaccines have been widely used elsewhere. For example, we've got the Sino vaccine being used in China, 
and rolling out in a number of other countries, the Sputnik V vaccine, which has been rolling out in Russia, over recent months, and is also being utilized in other countries. So there's still a lot to learn, as we see how our populations respond to these vaccines, and as we start to hopefully get the answer to some of those questions I put forward earlier, about whether being vaccinated leads to no transmission in people who are exposed to the virus, whether, how long the immunity will last in individuals, and a raft of other questions, which are going to come forward, as we learn more and more over the months ahead. Peter Harbison. Yeah. It's a pretty steep learning process, isn't it, for all of us, particularly for you? When we talk about the variants, by the way, Michael, given some of the recent experience in Victoria, particularly, is there any prospect that the 14-day quarantine will be extended, just to make sure that we are covering the likely infectious periods? Michael Kidd. Well, again, that depends on what we learn about each of these new variants as they appear. Fortunately, in Australia we're in the position where we're able to do the genome testing. Peter Harbison. That's right. We were talking about whether the quarantine period might have to be extended. And again, we don't know. But that is a possibility, presumably. We are being ultra-cautious in this country, aren't we? And I'm all in favor of that, I've got to say. Michael Kidd. Yeah. We'll learn more about each of these new variants as they appear, and about what is the safest way to prevent the risk of those new variants being transmitted to the general public in Australia. That's obviously what our quarantine system is set up to do. It's set up to protect everyone who is here from the risk of infection. Peter Harbison. Yeah. Good. Well, just talking about the vaccines themselves, obviously there's been a bit of recent discussion about AstraZeneca in South Africa, which is an unproven, untested. Are things on track for large volumes of that vaccination to be pushed out? And also, what's happening with the Pfizer vaccination as well? How do we stand with that rollout? Michael Kidd. Yeah. So the Pfizer vaccine has been approved by the Therapeutic Goods Administration. We're awaiting first shipment of the vaccine to come into Australia. It's manufactured offshore. We expect that the first people in Australia will be receiving the vaccine before the end of this month. And the priority populations will be people working in our quarantine and our border forces, as well as our frontline healthcare workers and people who are living or working in residential aged care and disability care facilities across the country. The AstraZeneca vaccine, we're still waiting for a decision by the inaudible 018 and 6 seconds, as to whether inaudible 018 and 7 seconds. We have orders to bring in that vaccine from manufacturers overseas, and we are expecting those first doses to come into the country in March. And then CSL in Australia is actually producing the AstraZeneca vaccine as we speak, and we expect the first doses to be available from the middle of March. If everything runs to plan, we expect that we will be vaccinating large numbers of people very quickly throughout March, and scaling that up through April and May. Peter Harbison. A question that interests me greatly, what about the over 65s, where there's a relative lack of knowledge about the impact? Michael Kidd. The Pfizer vaccine is approved for anyone aged over the age of 16, and the Australian Advisory Group on Immunization, ATAGI, is the group which looks at individual cohorts of people and provides advice. So, for example, there will be providing advice about the use of the Pfizer vaccine in women who are pregnant, women who are breastfeeding. At the moment, though, the licensing for the Pfizer vaccine is for any adult aged over 16. 
Therapeutic Goods Administration will be looking at all the research data on the AstraZeneca vaccine as part of the assessment of that vaccine, and will make a determination about what age group it's appropriate for that vaccine to be utilized in. So we're still waiting for that advice. And again, the Atagi group will then do its assessment about specific cohorts of people. Peter Harbison. Brendan Murphy said the other day that we have no experience with. I forget what the exact term is, multiple vaccines, the Pfizer, which comes in bundles of half a dozen. That we have no experience in actually the physical distribution of that. And we saw pictures, for example, of a truck driver in the US hopping out of the truck and vaccinating people on the roads because the vaccine was going to go out of currency. Is that going to be a holdup with the Pfizer vaccine, that we just don't have that experience yet? And I think we've lost you again. No, you're back. Michael Kidd. Lost me for a moment. Peter Harbison. You're back. Michael Kidd. Am I back? Peter Harbison. Yep. Michael Kidd. I'm back. I heard you talking about vaccinating people by the side of the road, Peter. Yeah. Peter Harbison. Yeah. I'm not suggesting that. And it's probably not likely to snow this year, even with global warming. Do we have experience? Michael Kidd. These vaccines come in multi-dose vials. We do have experience in using multi-dose vials. The last time we were vaccinating people, during the influenza pandemic, we were using multi-dose vials. But the difference with this Pfizer vaccine is the very low temperature that it has to be stored at. And as people know, it's stored at around minus 70 degrees and has to be transported at a very low temperature. And once it's been thawed out it has to be used, it can't be refrozen. So there is a window of time when we have to use those vaccines. And this is why, working with the state and territory governments, we're setting up large vaccination centers and hubs around the country, where large numbers of people will be invited to come in and get their vaccines on the same day. With the Pfizer vaccine we're going to need to vaccinate large numbers of people in individual sites. That's one of the reasons why we're looking at the AstraZeneca vaccine for distributing much more broadly across the country. Because it comes in much smaller packaging and you can deliver smaller numbers to smaller populations around the country. Peter Harbison. We don't have a lot of time left unfortunately, Michael, but coming back to specifically the aviation area, obviously there's a real vacuum when it comes to having protocols for travel domestically, between the states. Is there progress on that? The airlines obviously are desperate to have some sort of advanced knowledge of standardized protocols. You are part of that, but also obviously it's a political thing as well. But fortunately, in Australia, I think to a large extent the health officials have been listened to very, very well so far. How, how do we stand with getting some protocols in place, so that we can have constant airline operations between the states? Michael Kidd. Yeah, so we have protocols of course, for the public health measures, to ensure that travel on airlines is as safe as possible. And you'll be aware that people are required to wear masks while in airports around Australia. People who are passengers on flights are required to wear masks, the air crew wear masks, and other personal protective equipment as well. Our inaudible 023 and 35 seconds, have done a fantastic job in Australia. And with Qantas, with its flights overseas in inaudible 023 and 44 seconds, strict in adhering to those requirements, those protocols, which are keeping them safe, but also keeping the traveling public safe as well. 
we've progressively introduced other protocols based on the health advice 024 and 4 seconds, introduced other protocols based on the health advice. For example, the requirement now that people coming back to Australia are required to have had a negative COVID-19 PCR test carried out 72 hours before boarding. Therefore, evidence of that, that reduces the risk of someone being on the flight or boarding the flight with COVID-19. That therefore, reduces the risk of in-flight transmission to other passengers and to the crew. But also, reduces the risk of having people developing COVID-19 on arrival in Australia, in hotel quarantine. So it improves the safety of the quarantine process as well. So these protocols are being progressively introduced as we get more and more evidence about what works and what is going to be effective in protecting people from the virus. Peter Harbison. Thank you for that, Michael. But specifically domestically, just pure domestic travel. We have a national council. Obviously, it's a combination of political, but majority health input. Are we making progress on getting some agreement between the various states on, if we have one case we don't shut the whole state down again? I mean, is that somewhere that you're seeing some positive movement? Michael Kidd. So, through the Department of Health and through the Chief Medical Officer, we have the Commonwealth definition of a hotspot related to our community transmission at certain levels in different parts of the country. And the area where we don't utilize that, of course, potential states and territories make about whether they're going to allow people to travel from areas where community transmission is occurring into their own jurisdiction. And those are decisions which are made by each of the states and territories. Does, of course, make it incredibly challenging for people who wish to travel around the country. And of course, with the recent holiday season, we saw many people with their travels for their families disrupted as a result of our inaudible 026 and 24 seconds, and the variable travel advice. Which then comes in people being caught away from home in different states and territories, which then makes people, I guess, more reticent to travel out of their own jurisdiction at this time. It's been an incredibly disruptive year. I guess we can all hope, as the vaccine rolls out, that we will see less community transmission outbreaks occurring across the country. And therefore, less disruption to travel plans, but we have to wait and see if that eventuates. Hashtag rebuilding travel.